0: If you or a loved one has a hoarding problem, let's work together on a solution. Hi, Kurt. Thank you for being willing to join me today and talk about um, kind of how we met and the dubious topic of hoarding. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kurt's uh, Army uh, combat vet. He was an engineer and also I was a medic for several deployments, so he has seen a lot. We met through Vetpreneur Tribe, and he is the owner of Valish Woodworks. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Tammy, for having me. Thank you for the opportunity to get on and just share a little bit of my story. How are you doing today?
0: I am doing all right. For me, I still have coffee in the cup.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a little bit earlier for you than it is for me. Uh, We just (laughs) finished lunch, so... um, yeah, so we we met at in D.C. formally. We had previously met in, on, through the Vet Tribe, and then we actually had a chance to personally meet in D.C. at the Military Influencers Conference at the Russia House. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was a really good night, right?
0: Yes, it was. <laughs>
1: a lot of good ideas are formed from that group and that collaboration that happened there. So it's a very grateful experience for myself to be just part of some of the things that are going on in in your business as you continue to develop it, as well as a lot of the other people that were there in that group as well.
0: I was very inspired by the connections and very grateful that some of the people I've been connected with for a couple of years and we've just, Facebook has been a great tool Um, in that connecting piece of it so I was very happy to to connect with so many people there
1: yeah so we 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 talked a little bit there and you shared with me kind of some of your experiences with hoarding and I was like hey I I I, I was I was raised in a home that was kind of like that like I, when I, when I say I was raised in a hoarding home it wasn't as bad as a lot of situations get like I've, I've walked into as an emergency medical responder hoarding homes where there's rodents and there's insects and stuff and it really does become a health issue. Mine was more of a nuisance issue of always having to clean things off in order to sit down and eat and kind of the effects it had on anxiety and, and the family and being overwhelmed by all these things that are constantly surrounding you. Um, but I really I, I really enjoyed the chance that we had to kind of connect there. And you shared that you were like, hey, I'm going to be doing this podcast. And I was like, hey, I'd like to share my story and and, and get involved in any way that I can. So here we are. Um, and I'm very thankful for this time that we get to spend together and, and just discuss this a little bit more in detail.
0: And I appreciate your willingness to do that uh, because there's a, a lot of people who, there's so much shame and humiliation in this issue, even though you you may not be the person with the problem, it's kind of inherent in that situation, and um, I I discovered that there's a lot of people that actually know about this, and it takes a lot of courage to talk about it and be really frank about it, and I think for a lot of these situations, um, that's exactly what we need. And I, underlying issues in hoarding, there are mental health things that I see, and um, that can be challenging to be a person or a kid living with someone who has this problem and probably has other issues going on that are not being dealt with.
1: Yeah. I, I was, I was, I, for a while there, it, my household was really kind of normal, raised in like this, uh, just outside of downtown Cleveland, still kind of urban environment, but almost like, um, suburban. We still kind of had a lot of the amenities of living inside a, a small, like, small city, si- like a large city, but a small section of that city that kind of only had its own little like micro atmosphere, mm-hmm. um, And the hoarding I seen in my stepmother's side, her mom had – my stepmom's brother was – you walk in his garage and it would just be like barely any room to walk. You'd have to like shimmy sideways to get through. But everything had a purpose if you asked him. No, that's for that. That's for that. So it was like functional stuff, but it was unsafe functional stuff because you never knew when you might grab something and the whole pile might tip over and pin you between something. So it was – I watched that evolve, and as my stepmother went through, uh, we transitioned out to the country, I watched as things slowly started to accumulate. We had a little bit more space outside of this really small suburban home to having this big garage and this bigger home, and we had a lot more room. So it seemed like we had more room, let's bring in more stuff. <laughs> and over the years, it got to the point where there was piles of stuff on the tables and on the piano uh uh, a stool and all these other things they just became stacking points for items clothes or whatever it was it, it was like you were being overwhelmed by the sea of stuff and again I, I go back to and I say like, we, it, the house was clean like if you were to look at it and, and walking out in you'd see disorganization but it was clean it wasn't the floors were always mopped and swept it wasn't dog dog hair in the corners anywhere so it never became like a health concern mm-hmm. it was more of like uh, stuff <laughs> and as I grew up I, I think that's one of the reasons why I don't get latched on to stuff because one being in the military you learn pack light because you're always going to have to throw it on your back and possibly move with it so you never really got it attached to too many things too much because you never knew when you might see that thing again um we didn't have a lot of stuff in our barracks because it made a pain of butt to clean up the stuff and put it away inside your, your locker room and band it shut so you can deploy. Mm -hmm. There was, there's a lot of issues. Like it wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just hoarding and and growing up in an environment where it was this overwhelming amount of stuff that kind of detached me from being latched onto materialistic things. It was also the military kind of, Forcefully beating that out of me, um but even in our home now, like when things start to get too disorganized or just or cluttered, my wife is the first one that goes, "Stuff." And then I'm like, stuff. <laughs> so it's it's just you can see how the effects of hoarding, like having too much stuff at one point in my life and being overwhelmed, has kind of contributed to me not wanting to have a lot of things. But the things that I have, I value and I take care of, and they're quality things. I think it's more selective, um, not getting latched emotionally latched on too many things, and being willing to let those go because you know that it's just a thing.
0: And I think uh, from what I have seen and even for me personally, it's that detaching of, of the thing, uh, you know, detaching from it, you can still have the memory and the meaning, but you don't necessarily need all the stuff to retain that memory. And it seems like for people that hoard, that's part of why they keep so much stuff is because they're afraid they'll lose the memory of that event um, in some cases, but, I mean, I agree. The military really helped me recognize that you don't need a whole lot to function. I mean, I, I was a kid, you know, when I went in the military. Now I have this whole house, you know. And so, yeah. but when I started, I had, you know, an air mattress and some dishes, <laughs> you know. So I really um, have acquired a lot of stuff in a time frame. But uh, the thing about the military is you move pretty frequently or you deploy or. You live in a barracks and then you go on a ship, which was kind of my my case. And the other day, I stumbled on a picture of like what your rack looks like on a ship. I mm-hmm. mean, and it's basically a coffin, essentially. That's about how much room you have to put your things, you know. So you do uh. learn <laughs> how much, you know. Like, nope, I don't need that because there's no room. And the clutter is very anxiety producing, I find. Um, me as well and the military was like oh look you cleaned the floor somebody's happy about that yay so (laughs) (laughs) you know and it's like and do it better don't complain that someone cleaned you know just clean it better and I think for me that was a real mind shift uh mindset shift that oh look normal people uh enjoy cleaning enjoy having clear space around them normal i use the word loosely
1: (laughs) yeah i think i think a lot of us too um we me and my wife we kind of agree that having open space like in within the home is is beneficial um we're not a big fan of just because there's space there, we need to fill that with a piece of furniture. We're okay with having open space. And I I don't think that's a common conception. I think that when people get their own space, when they get access to their own space that they immediately want to start quantifying your success through the purchase of things. Mm-hmm. Um, they start filling that space. And before long, they don't realize that when you start overfilling the space, it starts producing feelings of being overwhelmed. Even if you don't realize it, it's like a subconscious thing that the more stuff you bring in, it's i it, I'll, I'll relate it to you this way. In my shop, I'm fairly organized I'm not good at putting my things away though. That's why I hire a shop hand to come behind me and help clean things up as I continue to stay moving forward on my tasks. Mm -hmm. Um, But when things start to back up or my employee takes a day off or something and I don't have someone going and helping me clean up those things and my workbench starts to get cluttered, it really affects my productivity because I'm not able to focus on the task at hand. I'm more focused on the mess that's on my bench and fighting that mess than I am about being productive in that project so i think the lesson learned from that is sometimes it's okay to have empty space because it it, it welcomes that that free flow of that thought process to take place being uh, not being un- over encumbered or overwhelmed by what the things around you are like doing to you you may not feel it but when you when you have all your surfaces filled it, it has a tendency to make you feel like your space is smaller but because you don't have the workability of your entire space, so if we can learn to get those things out of the way, that extra stuff, we can learn that how to work through the like the uh, underlying issues that were going on without having to worry about all the stuff. Does that make sense? Kind of
0: yes, and I builder. think the uh, so a couple of things like that you mentioned, one is that having someone that's helping you um, stay on track, um, cleaning up, coming behind you helping you stay where you need to be I mean it's that delegating of things so that you can keep moving forward and I've seen it in other workspaces too where all of a sudden now the the person that was doing all the janitorial things is gone for whatever reason and all of a sudden no one's taking out the trash it's um, yeah. overflowing and you know as an employee that's really actually difficult if you're working in that environment and that's you know granted maybe you pick up the slack and take out the trash or something you know but it's very demoralizing I think if you don't have someone that's there picking up those pieces and it just points to the fact that you need different people in your business to help you stay on track and um, I think for many solopreneurs, and I have been one of them, it's a challenge to go. You know, maybe I need to accept that I need a little bit of help here. And yeah, so I think it's very validating to hear someone say, "Hey, you know, this person helps me stay on track, and I need them here." Um,
1: and- and that's what they would hire you to do, is to help them stay on track with the plan to recover from their hoarding issue. And that's why, you know, as much as I need help, I I, I have to have help. I can't do it by myself. I mean, I could, I did it for years, but it, I don't have the productivity that I have now. And I could struggle through it and I could do it on my own, or I can acknowledge that having help is the best and most optimal way forward. And I think that when people come to you with solutions to overcome these issues, that's what they're really seeking. It's just somebody to one, hold them accountable. And two, to kind of help them in their area of their most need, which happens to be either disorganization or not wanting to let go of those memories or getting to the root issue of what it is that they're trying to overcome. That's what you're there for.
0: And I, I come at it kind of from a coaching perspective because I, personally, my experience with coaching is people are going to call you on your BS. They're going to do it kindly, uh, politely as possible, but they aren't going to let you just keep wallowing. And so that's how I approach it is, look, I recognize that there's an issue here. I recognize there's probably something going on that you're not telling me. But if you are quiet for a few minutes, people will generally tell you exactly what's happening and so that's kind of how I approach it I want to know um, what they are experiencing and what has kind of led to this and a lot of times if you are going through layers of things you'll come back to you know 1986 and that's when their child died or that's when there was a divorce or they lost a pet um, or they had to they had to move they were forced to move all their stuff and so they never unpacked it. Everything else has just been stacked on top of it for years. And so, as you go dig through the layers, sometimes that person starts telling you their story and what happened. And that seems mm-hmm. to help them release the items. And I've seen it work with a number of my clients where, oh, look, you had 67 purses. Okay, well, now we're down to 30. That's progress. It may not sound like it, but it is because you're yeah. decluttering. And depending on the state of the home you might be able to donate things if there's not pets and rodents and all that or a smell that <clears throat> don't go away doesn't go away um, <laughs> you know <laughs> and that's where the problem i think we're both
1: like there's so many smells that can encompass that like <laughs>
0: yes. and i have a hard time watching like the shows because i, can, I swear i can smell it i i see it but that's not necessarily what bugs me what is i can smell it sometimes and it's just that closed in not aired out you know hopefully it's just that or it could be way worse and i mean there was a years interesting- of
1: smoking and smoking just, that's one of the worst smells. I, I've, I've smelled a lot of smells, but like year old, years and years and years of smoke caked on the walls and mm-hmm. like the the white ceilings are now almost like this yellowish yellow. orange look. Like And it's <laughs> like...
0: Mm. And sometimes it's a gut, you know, you have to gut it. You can't get the smell out of the drywall or the paint. And it's something families struggle with where they might end up dealing with a hoarded home and you get it all cleared out. And now you still have the smell or the smoke or the, and you can't, there's like no way to eradicate it. And so sometimes even the homes are a complete teardown because of that. And yeah. That's if the only
1: issues are just the smell. Uh, That's not saying that there wasn't some maintenance issue and rot going on. And leaking and you
0: couldn't. Yep, exactly. You can't get, and that's another part of it is you may not know what repairs are needed until you get all the stuff out of the way, and yeah. you're often dealing with someone who doesn't think they have a problem. So why would they let you in anyway? <laughs> so if you actually have a person who's like, Hey, I'm having a problem. Can you help me? You're like, "Ah," you know, someone actually gets that there's an issue that they need to deal with. And that can be actually kind of rare.
1: <laughs> yeah. So we, after growing up kind of in that environment for a while, like, We established in our home that we kind of, uh, we set some hard boundaries, like we still get backed up a little bit every now and then, and we still tend to um that pile of stuff that knows needs to go to the Salvation Army may not get taken as soon as it needs to go you know sort of sit around a little bit but for the most part my wife and I my wife my wife is the lead hard charger on this she's the one that usually puts all the legwork into it but I'm just the guy that drops everything off uh but it's (laughs) it's stage removals of extra stuff as we go through the years of life to make sure that it's not becoming an overburdening or an encumbering thing in the future um And that was—we never wanted our home to be something that our kids would avoid because of the the amount of stuff and the overwhelming feeling that it gave them. Um, For years, I, I would limit my visits back to go see my father because that very thing was happening. And the garage that he used to have as a wood shop was overwhelmed by just years and years of roadside pickups because she was the junk lady that would go and pick up everything off the side of the road because it was worth $5.
0: Free is good.
1: (laughs) Yeah. until Until you start realizing that the space to hold the free isn't free. Exactly. You know, and then so... Since then, my my dad's and my stepmom and my ex- stepmom have went different ways now, so she 's no longer in my life. I no longer have to deal with the issues surrounding her um, and I don't think that she 's even fully recovered from the uh, whatever the core issue of it was that had her latching onto everything that she would touch. And it might be solely financial, you know, where she's grabbing this stuff up whenever she can, it's in the hope that it sells for a couple dollars later on down the road, um, you know. That, so I, I wouldn't even presume to understand why or what. I just know that it's not in my life anymore because when it was in my life and I had to face it, it, it was it was it was hard. It was when we're bringing our grandchildren there, we're we're only staying for don't worry babe we're only staying for an hour that's as long as I could stay here too mm-hmm. you know and that's the reality to what that cost. and for a long time it really interfered with uh the relationship with me and my father as well as a lot of other things you know right. not between me and my dad but between me and her in general um and then like the other side of it was as I once one home was like over overwhelming and the other side was like a, my mom was like almost like OCD clean so mm-hmm. it was like going back and forth between these two are completely opposite realms of existence. Like mm-hmm. everything's got its place. Don't touch that; it's a decoration. To, I ah, just put it over there. We'll get to it later, or just move that stuff out the way. Just slide it over. Sit down, you know, because mm-hmm. that's what it became when we would go and visit my father and my stepmom it was. Um, before we can sit down for dinner, everybody's got to clean off the table and we're just going to stack it over here on the piano. And Hey, look, there's the last year's stuff. We stacked over there too. Mm. You know, it's never moved. It just keeps getting stacked higher and higher. Um, You know, but even now my dad's having to clean up the mess, the house that, that all that happened in is Mm. is slowly getting pulled out and um, they're getting ready to sell it and try to move on from that part of their life. But it's, it's even now years later it people are still cleaning up the mess of the overwhelming amount of stuff that was just brought in by one individual that didn't want to let go of anything. Um, So I guess that would be, if I had to tell somebody something, like if, if there's somebody out there struggling with hoarding that may not understand the issues that they're doing or facing, it's, To realize that your stuff is attached to it as you are might be preventing other people from getting attached to you, and that there is what can compound the issue over and over because then they start feeling alone, and the only thing they have is their stuff, so they keep bringing more stuff in, and the people that are that were holding on just a little bit longer because they're hoping it'll go away, they're being driven away too because they don't they just don't want to deal with it all, you know. So just make that balance if if it's a decision of it's it's the relationship with you and your stuff or it's the relationship with others and you and you have to make that decision and if you don't you're just going to be stuck there in it
0: and that's so true and so it's so very isolating to to be drowning in your stuff and it really does drive other people away and Creates issues with, you know, people who complain, I, I never see my grandkids, or they never bring them over. Well, yes, because there's safety risks when my kid is walking around. Yeah. There could be an avalanche. There could be <laughs> an avalanche of stuff. I mean, <laughs> I've seen it happen. <laughs> oh.
1: I've been a victim of an avalanche.
0: So, I mean, it's really true that People, and some people say it's a mental, I do see the mental health aspect of it. But I also think that even then there's a choice you're making if you're choosing your stuff over other people and relationships. And if someone has hung around and is still there, if, you know, there's 50 people in your life and 49 of them have mentioned that there's a problem and you're still choosing to not listen to anyone, you're making a choice. To keep your things, and you're making a choice to isolate. And, you know, it's part of the reason why forced cleanouts don't always work or generally do not because the person is not dealing with their issue, whatever that underlying yeah. issue is. But then families uh, get stuck with dealing with this overwhelming amount of stuff, and it's very time consuming, especially when there could be important things tucked in with the newspapers and the egg curtain and the clothes yeah. and maybe the cat peed over in that corner and everything that's in that corner is ruined. But maybe, you know, that's where the DD 214 is that you really need because your spouse died. And now, now you have to go through this rigmarole because you, you don't have anything legible. And can you really take that peed on paper to the funeral home? I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a reality. That people, unless you're dealing with it or have seen it or been in it, you don't realize how horrifying it can be. And
1: um, so, statistically, how many people in, and you might, I'm just asking and hoping that you can answer this, how many people on average are affected by somebody with hoarding? For like, they always say, like, it, One out of 10 people know people that suffer from this. How many people in 10 know somebody that suffers with hoarding, suffers from an issue related to hoarding?
0: Well, I'm going to start with the broader number and the estimate, the estimations I've seen are in the U.S. alone, approximately 15 million people have a problem with hoarding. Out of 340,
1: 370 million
0: Mm -hmm. people. Yeah. So it percentage-wise, it may not sound like, you know, three million, but what I have found in many different arenas I've been in is if you have 20 people in a room, at least two of them are dealing with it. Either A, they have a problem themselves, or B, they're dealing with someone who does have a problem. And, you know, I just kind of making up my own number here, but I figure... If you have 15 million people in the U.S. that have a problem and you say half of those people have kids or other family members, that's 7 million people being impacted by, you know, people that's who are.
1: the secondary.
0: Right. That's secondary. And then you have, like you had mentioned, you have first responders, you have EMS, you have firefighters who don't have egress or ingress. And so there is, I actually have this little chart of the person that hoards plus all the spokes that go out to all the other people that are impacted. And um, a couple months ago, I did a presentation for a local chapter of the International Code Council. And some of those folks were firefighters and first responders. And we ended up having a great discussion around what they see and how they try to intervene and how what we have currently isn't working. And there's a lack of understanding of when you say, my mom can't go home because there's too much stuff. They think a pile of mail. And what you're really telling them is they can't access their fridge. If they go home with a walker and knock into a pile, there'll be an avalanche and a trip hazard. And so there's systemically, we have issues with how we aren't addressing it. And when when I think about the kids and the grandkids and the neighbors and the first responders. There are just tons of people impacted by this, and it it breaks my heart in part, but it also makes me really determined to keep talking about it because who is and who better to talk about it than the people who have survived it and found their way um, to something better and different and
1: and are willing to share their story and
0: willing to share and talk about it when I first started talking about it I was like people are like oh well are you going to use your real name at first you're like is that even a question then (laughs) yeah (laughs) then I started to realize how many people are like oh and will tell me privately oh I know exactly what you're talking about but I could never talk about it publicly I'm like oh
1: There's that stigma, though, and if you break the stigma stigma. where you start talking about it and it's not so much of this taboo thing to discuss, you understand that there's something deeper than just somebody that Mm -hmm. wants to be dirty, because that's typically not the case. They don't want to be living in filth or overabundance of stuff. That's just the effects of whatever was happening.
0: Exactly. It's like, for me, when I see the stuff and I'll drive through my town and I don't, I see the stuff, obviously, you can't always tell. Sometimes it just looks like a disheveled home that needs a, a lawn mowing, but other times you're like, wow, that garage is like exploding in the yard. <laughs> and people will say, oh, is that happening in our town or in our county? I'm like, drive a different route home tonight. Tell me what you see. Um, I've had an investor call me and they didn't really want to disclose where the residence was that they were looking at but I mentally started going through where might this property be based on what they're telling me because I have been driving different routes and seeing where they are. And I, I see this stuff obviously, but what I think about is how many people are suffering in that house? That's what, what I start to look at when I see it. And that's when I started to realize that, yes, I will use my real name and yes, I will focus on the humans because there's so many of us trying to figure out what to do and it's completely overwhelming Um, and there's this mentality that you're supposed to come back as the adult and fix your parents that doesn't work it's not very effective there's so much emotional stuff going on there that it just kind of rears its head again if you try to intervene often and we feel this responsibility to do something and I think it comes back to honoring your father and your mother type of thing, which I, I get, and I feel like I have a responsibility to do that. I also don't feel like I have to lose myself and my own mental stability um, to do that. And so it comes back to boundaries. And like you said, Hey, we're only going to be here an hour. That's it. That's all I can do. And um, really being firm about what you you need to be okay and often that's the first conversation I have with someone who contacts me about their parent or family I'm like so what are you doing for you and people are like what <laughs> like hey yeah. we, we got to come at this from put your own mask on first because you aren't going to do good for anyone if you can't do that
1: yeah exactly I mean even as a medic you don't do no good if you're shot
0: right <laughs>
1: don't put yourself in the issues
0: <laughs> hmm So And that's a hard thing to do when you have, I've had the experience myself, oh, well, you're the only one that can help your parents. Actually, no, that's not true. I had a conversation with the sheriff. (laughs) It's their property. They can do what they want, technically. So there is this autonomy that people are allowed to have, thankfully, in the U.S., but it can also be challenging if you see a problem and people are calling on you to address it, but you can't do it because they have their own right to do nothing and live that way if they choose um which is sad in some ways but
1: yeah and you can't force it you can't otherwise like you were saying before you go and you do a forced clean out or you force them to get you you're not really getting to what the reasoning behind that symptom is because i think you've kind of alluded to it hoarding is just a symptom of the emotional distress that they're they're suffering from or even maybe even physical distress maybe they have just a lack of mobility and they're not able to get up and clean like they used to and so everything's just got to be within arm's reach because if they get up the wrong way they become a fall hazard and you know it's a, we go back to, it's just a symptom of like maybe the longer duration of effects of whatever it might be. And when you understand that, maybe that's where you get that sympathy back for those people that seem like they just want to live in their own stuff. And, um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it takes personal commitment. It takes a want to correct that issue. It takes it. It takes you seeing it as an issue. First of all, before you can correct a problem, you got to see it as a problem. And if it's not a problem to you, then it's, you're not going to fix it. Why are you getting rid of all my stuff? Because it's in your way. Well, that's my stuff. <laughs> Give it back. No, you got to get rid of this stuff. There are significant safety concerns with anybody coming to your home. Like, this is a fire hazard, but I want my stuff.
0: <laughs> and, it's, and it's really true. And that's generally the argument you end up having with someone who doesn't want to release anything. And I see... I've seen it. Peop, there's a general misconception. I think that oh, the person's elderly and they don't care and they're not educated or and that's actually a lot of the time that is not true. They're very brilliant in what they do. They are very creative and they have a struggle over here, but it's because there's something trauma or something that's unaddressed and their response is to hoard and that's the way they are managing whatever's going on with them and they're destroying themselves and their relationships and their where they live through that process. And I've seen it where people end up, like you were saying, mobility and they have some sort of health challenge that's impacting them. And now they can no longer maintain their residence and it becomes a problem. And they did not live that way before. They'll show you pictures of what it was like before they were dealing with cancer or uh, long term illness. And, you know, they weren't used to living that way. And the other piece I see is a person was working and now their spouse becomes ill. And now that person is now working full time, also a primary caregiver, and something's got to give. And that's the house. And so I've seen it where it's it's something that should be addressed when we're dealing with um, people that are having health challenges or even surgery because all of a sudden now you're in surgery and you need to go home. And now all of a sudden it's discovered you can't because there's too much stuff and your walker won't fit through or whatever. And so I find we're not even asking the question, um, with some of those people and we need to be, we need, it needs to be on some of these questionnaires and things when people are being brought into intake situations and in medical things. And anyway, um,
1: maybe that's something that needs to go on an emergency phone call. You know, is there adequate space within the home for our fire team and our first responders to maneuver, you know, rather than it being an intake on a hospital form, that seems like it would be more important for emergency responders to be aware of. Yes. And then that would be, you fill out another document, another paper, first responder runs another document up and that goes in their file so if there is a need for judicial wing to get involved to correct the issue they have the proper documentation for that to go through without it seeming like it's a personal attack by the family members. Cause that's the other feedback that you probably get back from the court systems is then they go in front of the court, like, no, this needs to happen. And then the parents or the, the sister or the, the neighbor is sitting there saying, well, he just always had an issue with me. They're just mad at me or whatever it is. Then it becomes a hip word versus ours. And without a court order, nobody can realistically go in there and break in the door and find out if there's, something in there that would be a danger
0: well and the part of what i see with actually there's a it's not in the court system but there's a situation where i'm dealing with now where uh, a person not um, they have failed their inspection multiple times in in a rental and instead of anyone call get it, finding out how to help them they just keep failing the inspection and failing the inspection and now they're going to be evicted. And you're like, so you're telling me for three years this has been going on and no one thought to try to help, try to help intervene, say, obviously what we're telling you, the things we're listening to correct aren't happening. Obviously there's a problem with you executing this solution. And so that's another aspect I see where there is not enough awareness about the fact that, you can tell someone to cure this in 30 days and if it's taken them three years or 30 years that's an impossible timeline 30 days yeah and the court systems i think need some education on if it's at the point where it's crossing a judicial situation there has to be a higher level of intervention if you want a solution and People Probably a mediator, like a mediator,
1: you, mediator,
0: a facilitator, someone to come in and say, "Look, here's what you need to do." And so,
1: all right, we understand that there's a court order for this to happen. Now, I'm here to tell you how that is not realistic, right? But this is a solution that is realistic. Here's how we can approach this issue. We need to be doing this with the patient as well, because you can't see him as a nuisance. You have to see him as a patient
0: and a and a person who i mean if it was someone else dealing with a drug addiction alcohol um other things you know there seems to be a little more tolerance for Mm -hmm. people who need that help with those particular things versus someone who has a hoarding issue and that's just an observation that i have had that we are not at a level yet where we're going oh this is a mental health issue this is not just a Someone's trying to destroy my property value issue. Yeah. So, um, I appreciate your perspective on all of this because uh, we need to talk about it, and I think it helps to have someone like yourself that has a medical background who can see, hey, <laughs> there's more to this.
1: Yeah, it's not just it's not just an issue that faces the person that lives in it. It's an issue that faces real people that might have to help that person. It's an issue that faces the people around that person's life. It's an issue that affects everybody. I mean, if you if you trace the effects of that, it's not too far before somebody in some way that you interact with is affected by or has to deal with hoarding at one point in their life or another. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree. I think that it needs to be approached as more of a mental health issue rather than, I mean, same thing. Uh, we went through it several times on other issues. You know, um, ADD, it used to be this really taboo thing to talk about. And then as a rain, awareness rose, um, now it's it's something that it's – and I, I don't buy into all the diagnosis of ADD. Sometimes it's just a discipline <laughs> issue. But mm-hmm. there are significant issues, and it's something worth discussing with the parents when you have a child. And uh, I, I, Before I go to, down that rabbit hole, I just <laughs> – <laughs> it's 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 interesting to think about how the how all the different ways of um, interaction that people have with each other, and how even the secondary, tertiary, or the later on effects of hoarding can impact. I mean, I mean, you can be living next door to somebody, and next thing you know, worst come to worst, the spark goes off and their house blows up, like because the hoarding I and that's a really extreme issue but it's it's easy to it feasibly understand how even people within your neighborhood that can affect your your, your neighborhood and, and mm-hmm. residency values and all these different things so if we approach it from an issue of like how can we help these people versus like a, a mindset of condemnation or judgment mm-hmm. I think you'll see a shift in the mentality there as well um but yeah, it's it's definitely something that as I've I've went through my life, I go back and I reflect on those things. And being raised in that kind of environment of clutter and and you know, I would call it basic basic hoarding, not like d- disease <laughs> hoarding. Like mm-hmm. it's not quite as bad as a lot of people's cases, but. It it, it did affect the way that I approached a lot of issues later on down in life. And um, you may not be able to see that up front, but it does. And it can strengthen you or it can break you. For me, it happened to drive me away from wanting to go down that route of being emotionally attached to individual things. I think for my military service, I got a crate about 30 inches wide, 18 inches thick and I don't know, maybe 18 inches deep. It's small little crate. And that's my entire military career summed up, including my uniform. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's all I hold on to from that phase in my life because I recognize that it's just a small phase. You know, and that 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 protects me from being being a victim or falling into that that pattern of hoarding and, and getting latched onto things.
0: And I think it's important to note that you can keep something, that a memento, a, a box, or something where, you know, this was an important phase in your life, you know, but that doesn't mean you need to devote a whole room to it, which is, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is kind is of that, military service room. Yeah, you know, I'm like, you know, I.
1: <laughs> so, Watch your step.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got it protected, believe me. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and um, being willing to share your story and um, just being open about it. And I appreciate all the work that you're doing and the beautiful woodworking that you're doing. I just, it's amazing to me. So if people want to reach out to you or connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Um, you can email me at Kurt at Ballishwoodworks.com. It's B-A-L-L-A-S-H-W-O-O-D-W-O-R-K-S.com. And my first name, Kurt, K-U-R-T, um, We also do a veterans outreach, active duty veteran and family member outreach to teach the trade skills. You can go to my website at www.ballishwoodworks.com, and you can learn a little bit more about our outreach and some of the projects that we do. We do sell e-commerce items like cutting boards, coasters, rolling pins, stuff like that, kitchen goods, home decor. Um, But we specialize in in home furnishings, so we understand that our home furnishings may not be... um, shippable at this point and economically feasible to ship but there's other ways that you can support balish woodworks and our veterans outreach and just by shopping some of those smaller kitchen good items um, this coming year, we're going to be donating a portion of our proceeds to either sponsoring seats for military spouses and active duty individuals and veterans to come and learn trade skills. So if you know anybody in the area of Fort Bragg that would like to get involved with trade skills, you're welcome to reach out to me um, by email. Visit our website. You can also reach us on Facebook, um, facebook.com forward slash Ballish Woodworks or Instagram at Ballish underscore Woodworks.
0: Well, that is really awesome. All the things that you're doing, I love seeing all the growth and movement and Kurt is definitely one of those people to watch and connect with because he's doing great things for our um, our community. So I really appreciate all that work that you're doing.
1: Thank you very much, Tammy, for having me and the opportunity just to share a little piece of my story and I hope that others are inspired to share their journey with hoarding um, so we can kind of shift the mentality of of not wanting to have that conversation.
0: Well, thank you. And I, I appreciate your support of moving toward that goal of having those uh, conversations we need to be having about this.
1: Thank you, Tammy. Have a good afternoon.
0: Thank you. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to the hoarding solution podcast. We're so happy that you stopped by. We welcome your questions, thoughts, and suggestions, and are always looking for quality guests that would like to be on the show please send us an email at the hoarding solution at gmail.com. We look forward to connecting with you.